seen in our study that we got some tough decisions to make sometimes, some tough problems to face, and we need wisdom. One of you sent to me uh, a little email the other day that told about how some different, different denominations were dealing with squirrels. They got a big squirrel problem in their churches. Presbyterians called a committee and discussed it, and they decided these squirrels were predestined to be there, and so they didn't do anything with them. <laughs> the Baptists decided they'd have uh, evangelized the squirrel Sunday. That didn't, didn't work too well. The Methodists believed that you ought to take care of all the poor little squirrels, and so they had squirrels everywhere. Of course, the Episcopalians, they tried their wine and cheese thing, and that just got them drunk. That didn't do any good. <laughs> Catholics had a pretty good idea. They decided to baptize them. And put them on the church roll, which means, of course, they only showed up twice a year on Christmas and Easter, so that's all that. <laughs> but the, uh, the best one was the synagogue. They, they took one of those squirrels and circumcised him. They never had a squirrel show up again. That was it. <laughs> that's what you can't come to find out is how to have wisdom, how to make decisions in life. There you go. Little, just a little tidbit. Before we get to the Bible, now, now you know why we need the Bible, because Wilson's getting us nowhere. Uh, guys, we, uh, we started in Proverbs 1 last week, and uh, we saw that wisdom comes from God. You're not going to get it just from the bottom up. You're not going to get it from the best philosophy course you ever took. And I love my philosophy professors, and I believe in studying philosophy, but you're not going to get the wisdom of God that way. It'll help. It actually will help. If, if you turn your heart to the Lord to have a background of good logic and thinking deep thoughts, but it won't get you there by itself. It comes from God. And we saw that there are things that cause us to resist wisdom that we have to overcome. And wis obtaining wisdom is not going to be easy. H.L. Uh, Mencken, the, the, the cynical, skeptical uh, editor for the Baltimore Sun, or writer for the Baltimore Sun years ago, said that... Um, there's always an easy solution to every human problem, neat, plausible, and wrong. <laughs> and, and if you find a really neat, plausible, simple answer to all of life's deepest problems, you can pretty well count on it. It's wrong. And just look at our financial crisis. There's just not going to be a neat package pro uh, solution to the problem. It's probably going to be much more complex. But there is such a thing as wisdom. And... Uh, and uh, sometimes it's not the really obvious thing. We saw how Solomon dealt with the prob first problem that was brought to him after he asked God for wisdom, and that was how to decide who the true mother was. And uh, we saw how he, he found out who that was. It was through wisdom that God had given him because Solomon asked for it. There was a story of a sheep farmer who was next door to a, another farmer who was raising wheat and children and big dogs, and those dogs were harassing uh, his sheep. And he was trying to figure out what to do. Do I poison the dog, shoot the other farmer? I mean, what do I do? And uh, finally it came to him. And so when the little lambs were born, he gave one each to the children of his neighbor farmer. Which meant, of course, that farmer was going to keep his dogs up so they wouldn't destroy the little ewe lambs. And, uh, and that solved the problem. Sometimes wisdom... Uh, sometimes wisdom is simple, but it's profound. Uh, and we'll find that as we study our text today. Now, we're going to look at three chapters today, uh, and sometimes in our studies we'll be looking at bigger uh, amounts of material. But we're going to boil it down uh, this morning into what I hope are, are three helpful 
principles, one in each of these chapters, two, three, and four, that will help us learn how to attain wisdom. When we think of wisdom, as we enter our text today, let's stop for just a moment and think about what wisdom really is. Usually when we think of wisdom, we think of how we're going to make certain decisions. We've got big trials in front of us, either child rearing or or grandchildren rearing, or we've got important business decisions to make, or maybe relational decisions that we have to make. Maybe we've got extended family situations. We don't know what to do with them. We're looking for wisdom. So we often think about wisdom in terms of making a decision, but sometimes we forget this, that the wisdom that it takes to make good decisions must grow out of a wise life. Let me say that again. The wisdom that it takes to make good decisions grows out of a wise life. Let me tell you why. The wisdom that we need for decision-making needs to be an intuitive virtue. In other words, it needs to be something that is deeply embedded inside of us. That, that wisdom just comes out of us. Now, you know what I'm talking about. All of us have people we go to for advice. Why do you go to them for advice? Because they seem to have an intuitive wisdom about certain things. You can go and take a problem to them, and they've probably seen that problem before, or they've thought it through before, or you've watched them do it before, and you've, you've, been, you've been pleased with what you've seen in their lives. And so you go to them for advice because you're expecting something intuitive out of them. Well, let me give you an example. I gave this to some of our, our men the other day in officer's training. If someone comes to you and asks you, if one of your children come to you and asks you, uh, how do I drive a car? I'm 16. I'd like to learn how to drive a car. Would you help me? Now, let me ask you. Would your answer be, well, you know, <clears throat> it's been a long time since I, I read on this, but I do remember there's a good book. It's a little tattered and torn somewhere back on my shelf. Maybe it's up in the attic. A good book on how to drive a car. Let me find that thing for you, and that'll let be the way. You wouldn't say that. You say, well, come on, let's get in the car and I'll show you how to do this. Why? You have driven a car so long, it's now intuitive to you. You know how to drive a car. It's, you don't even think about it anymore. It's just automatic. It's intuitive. You don't even, on your way over here, you didn't think, now let's see, turn and left, pull the blinker down. Uh, let's see, uh, hit the accelerator, pull the accelerator off and push in the clutch put it forward. Now, let up the clutch lightly and put... Now, you did it that way when you first started to drive the straight shift. You had to think it through mechanically. But now you do that without thinking. You do it intuitively. That's called wisdom. So what you want to have happen in your life is that really good decision-making is coming out of your life intuitively. And if someone asks you for advice, obviously you will have some scripture references that come to mind. Obviously you may refer them to a chapter in the Bible that would be very helpful. But it's because it's been helpful to you. And that's exactly where you have gone for instruction from the Lord in given situations. It's coming out of your life. And you know as well as I do, the people who are helping you the most are the people who help like that. They simply say this, let me tell you what I've done. It's just like when you go to a doctor, if you want a specialist, you say to your internist, if you had 
a back problem like the one I've got, who would you go to? He says, well, actually, I had a back problem. You go, well, wonderful. Tell me, where did you go? And he says, well, I went here. Well, was it successful? Yeah, it was the best in the city, and I got great treatment and so on. Well, get me to that doctor. Here's a guy who has, has had experience, and he's going to lead you to that doctor because he's been to that doctor himself, and he had a successful experience. So it's intuitive. Now, that's what we want to get to in the whole principle of wisdom, for you to make decisions in your business, for you to make decisions in your marriage or in your dating life if you're single. <laughs> if you're single, please. Married, guys, don't do that anymore. It's uh, out. Uh, or in your financial lives or in your community life. You want wisdom, how to manage your time. I'm too busy. I'm not able to focus. Well, let's, let's learn how to live life before we make decisions because those decisions will come out of a life well lived. So it's the wise life you're looking for. And out of that life, you will accrue wisdom. I just find uh, as I get older, I'm in my 50s now, but I've, I've found it through every decade that every decade was a blessing. I had you know, 10 more years of experience to which I was applying the Word of God that was giving me a deeper intuition about how to live life and how to help other people live life. And uh, so it's just in, simply in walking and we're going to see this in these texts. It comes from walking a certain way. It's the way you walk. And that word walk is the most common word in the Old Testament for discipleship. It's a walk. It's a walk with someone. His name is God. And you just walk with God. And as you walk with Him, you will develop wisdom. But we're going to see that it's not easy. <laughs> it's very, very difficult. But it is simple. It's a simple walk in the mixed, midst of a world of complex problems. And it's out of that simple walk that you will be able to address the complexities of life with complex solutions. But they'll all come out of a simple walk with Him. Now, with that background, let's take a look at chapter 2. And what I want us to see in chapter 2, and we'll read it in just a moment, but in your outline you'll see this is our first major point. If you earnestly seek wisdom... You will be greatly rewarded spiritually. If you earnestly seek wisdom, you will be greatly rewarded spiritually. Now, I'd like for us to read through the chapter and see if you can see how we're being called earnestly to seek this wisdom that we're describing. And we're, we're going to keep peeling back the onion here to, to look at this mystery of wisdom. What is it, actually? But if you earnestly seek it, you will be rewarded greatly spiritually let's look at chapter two my son and let's stop right there this is a is is another lecture it's called lecture number two uh, and you can tell because if you'll turn back to uh, chapter one you'll see in verse eight listen my son to your father's instructions that was the first lecture now this is the second lecture and proverbs one through nine consists of ten fatherly lectures isn't it wonderful? You know, we all got our lectures from our daddies. What you have here are, is Solomon giving his lectures to the royal court, his own royal sons, the princes of Israel. And he's composed 10 lectures for them. And it's absolutely wonderful. We're going to take several of those lectures in chapter 2, 3, and 4. But when you see it, it says, my son, in chapter 2, we're starting a new lecture. This is, this is the next morning after breakfast. You say, okay, get your, get your pad and pencil out. We're going to talk some more. All right, my son... 
If you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For He guards the course of the just and protects the way of His faithful ones. That word faithful ones is hasidim. Some of you recognize uh, the Jewish hasidim, the, the uh, faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair. Every good path, there's that path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who leave the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. It will save you also from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. For her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. Thus, you will walk in the ways of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the unfaithful will be torn from it. Now you notice the words paths and ways multiple times in that chapter. Uh, in fact, uh, in the Proverbs, there are actually four words for path. It's a very important uh, complex of words. And it's basically just saying the road you're walking on. And you've got the road of, roads of the wicked, and you have the road of the righteous. And you have a choice to make between these roads. And there are several interesting things about a path. Uh, first of all, a path goes somewhere. A path has a destination. That's the most important thing to know about a path, guys. <laughs> Where's this path going? And sometimes, folks, I don't think men actually know where the path is going. I can remember as a 27-year-old uh, 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 steel salesman calling on one of my customers. And uh, I took him out to dinner one night, and uh, we came out of the restaurant, and it was uh, actually up in Maine, Augusta, Maine. And we came out and we looked at the stars that night and they were just beautiful. And he said, uh, Sandy, you know, if God wants me, all he has to do is just put up there, Don, I want you. And I said, Don, the fact is that's what's in the stars. That God says he, he left his, his handiwork right there so you'd see who he is. Oh, when he said, look, Sandy, I'm too busy for this stuff. I'm a very busy CEO. I'm traveling on a train that's going about 200 miles an hour, and I just don't have the luxury of dealing with these things. And I remember saying to him, Don, I understand. You know, I'm not going to harass you with this. I said, just one final thought. I said, um, if I were on a train to going 200 miles an hour, I think I'd like to know where it's going. <laughs> <laughs> and 
You know, so many guys, they think their mission is to be on a 200-mile-per-hour train. The mission is to go somewhere. Think about the destination and all your busyness, all your hard work, all your labor. Where in the heck are you going? What is the destination? The most important thing about a path is it has a destination. Why don't you get your map out? People have been on that path before. Why don't you get your map out and find out where that path goes before you whistle along and take another step? You know what? Sometimes, and I know I'm one who doesn't ask my wife for directions and don't want her to give them to me. I just want to keep on going. Sometimes you find out the hard way you're really a whole lot better off to cut your losses. <laughs> go ahead and pull in the gas station, ding, 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 and ask for, for some advice, or just turn around, go back the way you came, and start over instead of going all the way down there and then turn around, figure out what a disaster it is. And some of you right now really need to turn around. You're on a path that's really going the wrong way, and it's not going to get any better. Guys, it, there's a fork in the road, and it has an angle to it. And the further you travel down the path, the worse it gets. You're not getting any closer. You're getting further away. So cut your losses. And you know anybody who's got business problems knows there are times when you have to learn to cut your losses. Go ahead and take, them on your, take a hit on your balance sheet or whatever you have to do. Uh, cut your losses and get it over with and get it behind you. And then you start building and growing. And some of you have lived life 50 years, and you need to cut some losses and get back on a path that's taking you somewhere. So the first thing about a path is that it leads somewhere. Second thing about a path, other people are on it. And you're choosing your partners in life. You're choosing your companions by the path that you take. And some of you don't have very wise friends because you didn't choose a very wise path. And you need to get back on the path, and you'll find you have plenty of companions along the way. And that's what we see in this text. These are just observations before we get into the outline here. But you'll find there are companions on every path. You can take a very bad path. You'll have plenty of companions. They're all over the place. They just won't help you very much, and they're not going to encourage you to turn around because they're not planning to. And even if you're headed on your way to destruction, it's kind of nice to have people go get destroyed with you. So you'll find plenty of companions on the wrong paths, and you'll find plenty of companions on the right path. And you're going to choose your companions by the path you take. As a matter of fact, I, I can sometimes tell what's going on in your life if I just ask you, who are your best friends? And when you tell me, I kind of know what path you're on. You ever notice that? You can just ask a man, tell me who your best friends are. And you know the path. It's obvious to everybody else. Why is it not obvious to you? So you're going to have companions. You're going to have a destination. You're going to have companions. There's something else about a path. A path has a contour. Some of them are very crooked. And some of them are very straight. And basically, if you're headed in a good destination, you generally want a straight path. And you'll find that different paths go different ways. The path of wisdom is the path for people who have simply put their trust in the Lord. And that's going to be a straight path. In fact, we find that in chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. So you get a straight path. 
Now, it's not only it's straight geometrically, but it's straight in terms of all the obstacles being dealt with. That's the fourth thing. Paths have different impediments. And some, some paths have rocks and crevices, boulders everywhere, dangerous paths. And some of them have, been, have had the way cleared for you. And basically what the Lord is saying, if you're following me, I'll give you a clear path. You have a clear path to me. So this is the language of discipleship in Proverbs. It's the language of the pathway, figuring out the way you're going to go. And of course, this is the reason that Jesus said to us, I am the way. He was saying, I'm the path, I'm the road. He said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. No one gets to the destination but by me. So I'm the way, come on. And you see, Jesus is using the same kind of language of walking along the way. And that's the reason that when he called his disciples, he just said, come follow me, come walk with me along the way. Come walk with me, live with me, walk on my path. And that's what it means to have wisdom. You've got to get on path uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's look at this chapter, its main points, and there are four of them. We saw the main point is, if you earnestly seek wisdom, you'll be greatly rewarded. Well, in verses 1 through 4, you see you must seek wisdom as treasure. We said earnestly seek, and that's what the, the, the Proverbs mean. You've got to seek it as a treasure. This, this is going beyond now just simply listening to the words of your daddy or just listening to the Bible or listening to Amen Bible Study or listening on, the, on your radio or listening on your CDs. This is going after something. This is very masculine, if you don't mind me being gender specific here. It's, it's, it's rugged. You're chasing something. You're after it. Some of you had to chase your wives really hard and <laughs> honestly, some of you, I don't know how you ever got her. <laughs> Just a, still amazes me. Sometimes I look out, out in church and I see you sitting next to that woman. I just can't believe she. <laughs> I don't know. But that was because I know you had to work hard. Uh, listen, with my wife, uh, we started dancing. Uh, we danced once when I was in the eighth grade. I'm sorry, she was in the eighth, I was in the ninth. And I never, I never let up because if I had let her go for a month, she would have found out her options, and I never would have had a chance. So I just stuck with it all the way through. So if you're wondering how I did it, that's, I didn't just you know, consider it one of the options. Now, guys, I was very athletic. You know, my testosterone was just kicking in, and I went after it. And I used everything I had to get that woman. And if you know her, you know that's exactly what I would have to do. Well, that's what it's talking about here with wisdom. You're not getting this with a half-hearted search. It's not going to happen. If you think, if you think you're going to have the wisdom of the ages by occasionally dropping into a Bible study or occasionally going to church, every once in a while reading your Bible, taking Eucharist every once in a while, you can forget it. You can forget. I'm not saying you're wasting your time because those would be the best moments of your life. But I'm saying you can forget having the wisdom that Solomon's talking about. This is very athletic. And any of you who watch the Olympics, you know, those, those champions, uh, they didn't get where they are through, you know, practicing every once in a while. Those men and women poured their hearts out to get where they were. And they got the gold or the silver or the bronze. You're not going to get this wisdom with half-hearted effort. So he says you've got to seek for it as you would for treasure. And you remember how Jesus describes in Matthew 13 the man who finds the kingdom of God, the very essence of wisdom itself. He said it was like he found treasure hidden in a field. And, of course, the, the, the story is behind it is that often if you were 
you leased yourself out to plow someone's field, you'd be, you'd be plowing a hired hand, plowing their field, and all of a sudden, boom, you hit a box. You hit something. What's that? And you dig down, and you find, hey, here's a box full of treasure. Well, what happened was, centuries before this guy owned this farm, uh, someone before him owned it, the Midianites were coming to invade. They put all the treasures in a box and they buried it, you know, 20 paces from the oak tree and 10 paces from the big rock. And they knew exactly where it was. And they go off. They get killed. And the treasure's still in the field. Nobody knows about it. So here's this hired hand out here plowing. Boom, hits the treasure. He finds it. So what does he do? Jesus said, he sells everything he has. No. He says, in his joy... He sells everything that he has and buys that field, which was a perfectly legal thing to do. It, basically, the Jewish law was, you know, finders, keepers, losers, weepers. In other words, if, if this was a treasure that didn't originally belong to this family, the hired hand had a legal right to barter for the field, and if he could buy the field, he owned the treasure. And that's exactly what he did. And Jesus said he did it with joy. Why? Well, he gave up everything he had. Why? Because he was getting more. That's why. And that's the reason you go after something. That's the reason you swim four hours a day so you can get eight gold medals because the gold medals are worth more than how you would have spent four hours every day for three years. You made that decision. You decided eight gold medals was worth giving up all those hours. It's the same way with the wisdom. You have to go after it. It's going to be very costly. It's going to cost you your life. It's going to take everything. Then you'll know how treasury, what a treasure it is, and you'll do it with joy because it's the best deal you ever made in your life. So it'll cost you everything, but you get the universe. And what Solomon is saying, son, you're not going to get what God gave me unless you say to God what I said to God, which is, Lord, I don't know how to, how to go in and out. I don't know how to do my job. I've got to have wisdom. And I'm not asking you for riches. I'm not asking you for women. I'm not asking you for comfort and convenience. I'm asking you, God, above all things, give me wisdom. I'll give my kingdom for wisdom. Now, Solomon says to his sons, sons, you ain't getting it without that. He didn't use ain't. I don't know what the Hebrew equivalent of ain't is. But he said, you ain't getting it unless you seek it the way I sought it. I'm telling you, says Solomon to his children, I'm telling you as a wise man, here's how it came. It came giving up everything. And I'm saying to you, Go after it like treasure. That's the way I went after it. And Solomon's speaking intuitively. He knows. He went after it. He got it. He got the eight gold medals. And he said, this is the way it's done. And if anybody wants to know how to get eight gold medals, I know a name of a guy who lives in Baltimore you can call. And he'll tell you how to do it. It'll take you everything. And that's what Solomon is telling his sons. So seek it as treasure. Now, the second main point, B, is that wisdom will greatly reward you spiritually. And you look in chapter 2 and you see these massive spiritual benefits of seeking wisdom with your whole life, which means you're looking for a wise life, going down the path. And there are going to be tremendous spiritual benefits. Let's, let's shoot through these. Number one, the knowledge of God. He says, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Now, this doesn't mean a knowledge about God. That's a good thing. That's called theology. That's a very good thing. I love theology. And it's important. In my love for God, I study theology, the theology of the Bible. I study about God in order to know God. But the goal is not to know more about God. 
the goal is to know more of God. There's a difference. If all I do is reading little letters that my wife wrote as a child and talking to her father about her childhood and talking to all of her friends about everything they know about my wife, that's hardly loving my wife. That's a more intimate relationship. This is what Solomon is saying. Sons, he says, if you want a deeply intimate, personal knowledge, in fact, intuitive knowledge of God, you will do it through wisdom. And what's so interesting with the new spirituality, we used to call the new age, the new spirituality that says basically all you have to do is hum, and you can know God, and you seek for God inside yourself. Basically, all you're doing, you are peeling away the onion, and you peel away the onion, and finally there's nothing there. It's you, nothing. You don't know God. Solomon says if you want intuitive, intimate knowledge of God, here's how you do it. It's the wisdom that He gives through His Word and through personal relationship with Him. That's a huge spiritual benefit, is to know that you know Him. And the Bible gives us that. Secondly, in verses 7 and 8, we saw you get the protection of God. He protects the way of His faithful ones. He's the one looking out for us. He will protect us from evil. And that's the reason we can pray the Lord's Prayer. Deliver us from evil. We pray that because He promises us that. So we will have His protection. He will show us the right path. He will show us Himself how to take the right way. Thirdly, we get the virtue of God. He says, then you will understand what is tzaddik, what is right, what is just, mishpat, what is fair or what is equitable. Every good path. He will show you what Micah 6.8 requires, that we, that we love justice and do, we do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with our God. He says, I'll give that to you. I'll show you what is right. And righteousness just means to conform to the revealed will of God. I'll show you how to conform to what God wants. That's righteousness. I'll show you justice. That is how to love your neighbor, take care of the poor, how to deal with social issues, of which there are many, gentlemen, in our own city. And he says, I'll show you that if you'll walk with me. I'll give you the wisdom to know how to deal with the poor in Memphis. I'll give you wisdom to know how to deal with the educational crisis in Memphis. I'll give you wisdom to know how to deal with a political problem in Memphis. I'll give you mishpat. I'll give you justice. Just walk with me. Seek my wisdom. It'll come to you. You'll have justice and righteousness, and then you'll have fairness. And when all these problems of inequity, and what do I do with the, uh, with the variance uh, of issues in my own city? I'll give you wisdom for it. What do you do when half the population is African-American in Memphis and less than 1% of the income to business goes to African-American-owned businesses? Less than 1%. What do you do with that? I'll show you what to do with that if you'll seek me. I'll give you wisdom for this. You'll have insight for it. You'll see at a level you've never seen before. And out of that level of perception and understanding, I'll give you solutions for this. And the reason we don't have solutions is because we're not asking for wisdom. James says you don't have because you don't ask. The reason you don't have wisdom, frankly, you don't want it. That's what the Bible says. Because if you want something, now by want, I mean want the way he's talking about, like a treasure. You want it, I'll give it to you. When Socrates had a man come to him off the street and say, Sir, would you show me how to find truth? 
Obviously, it was a young guy. <laughs> he says, would you show me, Mr. Socrates, how to have truth? He says, yes, come over here. Took the man, put his head in a bucket of water and held it down. And the man was squirming. And then right before he started to just go limp, he pulled him out. And he said, now, when you want truth as much as you want it to err, you'll get it. So when we want it, we'll get it. When you want it, you'll get it. And you will get the virtue of God. And we will have a righteous city, a just city, and a fair city when you want it. So uh, third, uh, fourthly, rather, we get the salvation of God. You notice that in the, in the text. First of all, we are saved from the ways of wicked men. You say, how am I going to be saved? These people are so perverse and so, so distorted and so devious. Seek God. And you'll recognize the counterfeit. You know, the bank teller says, you know, she's counting the money. And you say, how, how can you just, how are you so sure that all those are real? She says, you know, when you've counted them as long as I have, you pick up a, a counterfeit just like that. It just feels different. She just, she's counted thousands, thousands of those dollar bills. She can pick out a counterfeit in a moment. When you've walked the walk, you're walking intimately with the Lord, something comes along as a counterfeit, you smell it. Before you can explain it, you smell it. You know what I'm talking about? You know this in business. Here's what it is, I think, if I could try to psychoanalyze this. You've seen this type of personality and where it goes on multiple occasions. And what's triggering in your mind is a pattern. And you've seen this pattern before. And that's where your intuitions are coming from. But when you walk with the Lord, you know the real thing. And the, the thing that's a fake, it just stands out to you like that. Walk with Him. And He's saying one of the spiritual benefits are that you will be saved from the paths of wicked men. You're not going to be tricked. You know how you're going to be tricked? Because you want to be tricked. I remember some years ago um, when so many pastors were falling sexually. I mean, they, it seemed like every week there was some guy, you know, who was in bed with some woman that wasn't his wife. I was about 35 years old, and I was thinking, good heavens, this is scary. I mean, these seem like people who had good heads on their shoulders. And I began to worry about this. I mean, do, what do you, does the adultery demon just hop on you, you know, and you, you're just a victim, and all of a sudden, boom, you know, you're in bed with some woman, and, ah, what in the world did I do? I, you know, and I'm ruined. I mean, it was scary. But as I looked at it and studied it, I realized, you know what? These adulterous affairs, and those of you who have had them know exactly what I mean. You could preach on this. Adulterous affairs don't just happen in a moment. They happen over a period of time where a guy is either being seduced and he likes it and he knows what's going on down deep inside and he chooses to stay on that path or he knows he's seducing that other woman. He knows it's happening. He can see her response. Long before they get into bed, there's a long time of developing that seductive pathway together. And that's exactly what's being said here. If you walk with Jesus Christ, he will arrest that early on. You'll know it's a counterfeit. You'll get back on the path. You repent of your adulterous thoughts and lusts and get back on the path of the Lord Jesus Christ and He will guard you from the outcome of that wicked path. He'll guard you from the ways of wicked men and we've already mentioned it. B, He'll guard you from the seduction of the adulteress in verses 16 through 19. If He guards you from easy money, He'll guard you from easy sex. And He shows here in verses 16 through 19 why this is so foolish. 
It's amazing how foolish wickedness is. We said that every path has a destination. Look at her destination. She's taking you to the place of dead bones. She's taking you to destruction. She's using you. And you say, well, she might have been using me, but I sure was using her too. Right. Same message to her. She wasn't being loved. She was being used. Anything uh, sexually that's outside the bounds of covenant promises is selfish. That's the problem with it. It's massively selfish. It is not love. Guys who get involved in premarital or extramarital sexual liaisons are involved in liaisons that are mutually selfish. And in your mind, on this wicked path you're on, you've convinced yourself that's love. Gentlemen, that's not love. It's the opposite of love. Love is self-sacrificial in order to build the other person up, especially in their relationship with Christ. An adulterous relationship tears the other person down, especially in their relationship with Jesus Christ. How could it possibly be love when you are coming between them and the one who made them and offers to redeem them? It's completely destructive. And that's what, that's what he's saying here. He'll guard you from such stupidity. As my uncle used to say, no, I'm not going to quote my uncle. Uh, <laughs> I better not. I keep forgetting that these tapes go on to the... Uh, Ladies, I was going to say something that you would thought was very, uh, <clears throat> very vulgar. <laughs> Can you turn the tape off? No, I won't do that either. <laughs> My uncle used to have a strong saying about this, about how stupid men could be when it comes to sex. I'll just leave it with you. Uh, but the word seductive here is the word for smooth. If you look at verse 16, the seductive words, they're smooth words. They're deceitful words. It's the gloss. It's the glossy photograph and the glossy words and the glossy invitation, the glossy promises, and they're all a pile of crap. Because why? She, look at this, ignored the covenant she made before God. She is a covenant breaker. The prostitute or the woman that you're having a liaison with is an adulteress, and you're an adulterer. And you need to call it what it is. And if it's if it's premarital sex, it's adultery. If it's outside of extramarital sex, it's adultery. And it's just a glossed over, very bad path. Now, the good news, of course, in the ultimate wisdom of God, which stumps all of the religions of the world except one, God completely forgives such foolishness. Completely. As though it never happened. Does it mean you don't have to suffer any of the consequences? No, you've got consequences. But you have no consequences before his throne of judgment when you're in Christ. We'll get to that, that wisdom uh, one of these days soon. So the good news is there's a way out of this. The bad news is, is when you're in it, you need to get out of it. And you need to change your way of thinking. You need to get on another path because it's totally destructive. And what, what, what wisdom is saying to you, come, not only listen to me, but accept me. And I'll keep you from such self-destructive foolishness. You're destroying yourself and her. And it's a very severe warning that Solomon has given his sons. Now, thirdly, he will save you from the ways of wicked men, from the seduction of the adulteress. So he'll save you from easy money, he'll save you from easy sex, and he'll save you to the ways of good men. 
He will give you good company. He will give you friends for life. And He'll give you friends that will keep you on the good path. Now, that's the spiritual reward for earnestly seeking wisdom. Now, secondly, in chapter 3, if you value wisdom more than gold, you will be rewarded practically. And I've written these out for you, and we're going we're gonna to scoot in just a moment because of time. But without reading the chapter, would you just look at the outline I've given you, which is a summary of the chapter. And you see that if you keep God's commands, He's going to prolong your life and give you prosperity. If you embrace love and faithfulness, He'll give you a good reputation. He'll give you a good name in the sight of God and of man, the Bible says. If you trust the Lord with all your heart, He'll give you straight paths. If you'll shun evil, He'll give you health and nourishment. If you tithe, He'll fill your barns and cause your vat to overflow with wine. I say, if you tithe. Some of you know I used to be a Baptist. It comes out every once in a while. Now, that's Presbyterian right there. If you submit to God's discipline and don't resist His discipline and stop shunning rebukes and stop criticizing the person who's criticizing you and listen for a moment. If you will accept the discipline from the Lord, you'll experience His love because He disciplines those He loves. Solomon says, sons, you know that I discipline you because I love you. Do you think God is otherwise? God disciplines the sons He loves. If you're not disciplined, you're a bastard, Hebrew says. You're, you're illegitimate. You're not His. If you're His, you're going to be disciplined. And then he says, if you'll find wisdom, you'll have life and peace. Two huge words. Life and peace. You will be able to sleep at night. You will be able to walk about confidently, he says in this text that we're not reading. So if you want the sense of security and confidence, seek wisdom above all things. And he will grant you that peace that enables you to have the confidence you need to go out and to serve the world that you're living in. And there are many intimidating things out there, many intimidating people. Admit it. We can easily be intimidated. But if you have wisdom, you see deeply, you live deeply, you've already chosen your path, you're not trying to impress anyone on another path, you're living on this path, and you will have the confidence and peace you need. If you keep wisdom, wisdom will keep you. You see in verses 21 and 22 through 26, if you'll guard wisdom and hang on to it, God will guard you and you will persevere. That's the promise in the Scriptures. If you love your neighbor and do what is right and not withhold his wages, not plot harm against him, not falsely accuse him, and not envy him, you just get the, the second table of the Ten Commandments there. All these things to do to love your neighbor, then in verses 32 through 35, God's going to bless you. You'll have His blessing, His favor on your life. Now, some of you may say, is this really true? I mean, if I obey God, I'm going to live long? Would you please explain how my teenage son died? Will you please explain how my first wife died? You know, you have questions like that? I'm not talking about myself, my son or my wife. I didn't have either of those happen, but I'm posing these questions. Well, two things before we leave this chapter to qualify this properly. One is, remember, we're in the Old Testament. In the Old Covenant, you had a theocratic boundary to the people of God. In other words, the 
church and the state were coterminous. You didn't, you didn't separate church and state. They were the same people. So if you obeyed God, there would be physical implications because the whole people on this holy land, the holy people on the holy land, would experience the same thing from God. So he dealt with his people as a geopolitical entity as well as a church in the Old Covenant. So Malachi could say, if you'll bring your tithes into the storehouse, I will open the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing you'll not be able to contain it in your storehouses. And that was true. When there was plague or drought, the people would always repent because God was withholding the rain or sending the pestilence because they had disobeyed Him. In the Old Covenant, that's the way it worked. And you'll find that over and over again in the Scriptures, in the Old Covenant. In the New Testament, we, the church, although some people seem to act otherwise, we are not a theocratic state. We are not a geopolitical entity. The church is in dispersion around the world. We don't have a home in this world. We don't have a geopolitical entity in this world. Our geopolitical entity is going to come down out of heaven, the new Jerusalem. And then we'll have, we'll, then again, we'll be a theocracy. We'll be a geopolitical people as well as a church people. We'll all be gathered in one city. And once again, God will pour out His blessing, His favor, physically on all of His people as their reward. In these days, we're in dispersion. It's like when the Israelites were in Babylon. They were in dispersion. So if he blessed the Israelites, he's going to bless the Babylonians too. And so it's not as clear anymore. So just remember, you have to interpret things properly given their historical or what we call covenantal context. So that now, Jesus said to his disciples, love your enemies because God causes the sun to rise upon the evil as well as upon the good. So we're in a day of common grace when God is loving all geopolitical entities with rain and sunshine. And so he doesn't make the distinction among his people. So be very careful that you not think God must especially bless you because your bank account is particularly full at this moment. There's no guarantee that that's correct because we're in the new covenant. And secondly, be aware that in the new covenant, uh, we have spiritual blessings. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 that through Christ, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms has been given to you. We have Christ living in us. And furthermore, we are guaranteed a rich harvest. We are guaranteed material wealth. But we're waiting for it until we're restored to our geopolitical entity when the new Jerusalem returns. So it's just a matter of time. We're waiting to come out of dispersion and return to our home. So we're going to have those blessings. Right now we have the blessing of knowing and we have the blessing of His presence with us. So we have blessings, but they're not the material one-to-one -one relationship between behavior and results that was in the Old Covenant. And secondly, we'll deal with this more later, but remember we're dealing with proverbial wisdom. The real tough problems of Job and Ecclesiastes come up later. Remember we said proverbial wisdom will cover about 95% of life. You know, if you train a child in the way, he shall go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. 95% of the time, that's correct. But then you have Ecclesiastes or you have Job. Sometimes you're going, what in the world is this all about? So if you qualify that properly, then you can look at chapter 2 and say, you know what? I get it. If you really want to have a successful life, you walk in the path of godliness. If you really want to have healthy relationships, you walk in the path 
of righteousness. If you really want to put your head on the pillow and sleep at night, you walk in the path of godliness. 95% of the time, that's the way it works out. Okay, chapter 3. We're gonna, we'll close with this. Not only do we learn that we get spiritual rewards and practical rewards from valuing wisdom, but in chapter 4, we're going to learn that if you attain wisdom, you're going to have to make some hard choices. Now, let's look at chapter 4. Listen, my sons, he says, verse 1, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. When I was a boy in my father's house, still tender and only child of my mother, he taught me and said, look at verse 7, wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. Here's what Solomon is saying. My father taught me the same thing. Who is his father? David. He's saying, listen, sons, I'm giving you wisdom, and it's your family legacy. My daddy taught me, and I'm now teaching you. And I've got to ask you a question. And this is the first point we want to make. Are you building a legacy? Are you building a family legacy? All of you don't have children. Some of you do. Some of you have grandchildren. Are you aware of building a legacy by passing things down the family? Do you see that the context of learning here is family? So you say, well, I'm a single guy. I don't have a family. Do you have a small group? Are there younger guys in your church that you can mentor? Are there poor folks in your neighborhood, young kids who are just on the streets and don't have parents showing them much attention that you can pour your life into? Can you build a legacy somewhere? Can you pass it down? That's exactly the way wisdom comes to us. It's passed down through personal example and personal ministry. Secondly, verses 10 through 19, we're going to learn that we do not travel on the evil path. Verse 10, he says, listen, my son. This is a new lecture here. Listen, my son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. I guide you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. You see how valuable this is? He's saying this is everything. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go on your way, for they cannot sleep till they do evil. They are robbed of slumber till they make someone fall. They eat the bread of wickedness and Drink the wine of violence. The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. They're ignorant, he's saying. So you see, he's, he's saying here, you, you, not only, you not only want to get off the path of wickedness, you don't even want to set foot on it. Avoid it at all costs. There was a young man who was interviewed uh, decades ago to be a steamboat pilot on the Mississippi. And the one who was interviewing him wondered whether he really had enough experience to handle this and whether he was old enough. So I said to him, son, do you know where all the rocks are on the Mississippi River? And the young man said, no, I don't know where they are, but I know where they're not. And he hired him. That's the point. Do you know where the rocks are not? Do you know the well-traveled path of godliness? That's what you need to know. And you don't need to experiment and find out where all the rocks are. That is not the way to wisdom. The way of wisdom is to walk daily on the path. And Jesus says, look, Jesus was the greatest wisdom teacher of all. And he said, let me tell you about this path. It's very narrow. 
Narrow is the way. But wide is the gate and broad is the way to destruction. It's big. Lots of people going down that way. This way is not popular. The Apostle Paul says the way of wisdom is the way of the gospel because the essence of the mystery of God's wisdom is all found in the gospel. We'll deal with that later. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, it's foolishness to the Greeks. The narrow path is foolishness to those who do not know your God. Don't be looking to people who consider your God non-existent to be able to show you where the path is. Just realize they don't, bless their hearts, they don't have the capacity to tell you where the path is. Why waste your time worrying about your popularity with them? And there are many of them. Broad is the way. This is a narrow way. One time R.C. Sproul was walking down the fairway with one of his pagan friends. And the, the friend said to him, R.C., Christianity is such a straitjacket. It's so narrow. It's just, yeah, and R.C. said, yeah, it's just like golf. Yeah, it's so narrow. You just got to stay in the fairway. He said, why don't you have fun? Go over there in the creeks. Go over there in the sand traps. Go over there in the three-inch weeds. Go over there and have a blast. I'll just take it right down the fairway every time. <clears throat> Lastly, keep your whole being on the righteous path. And this is so important. I wish we had more time for it. But verses 20 through 27, you'll pick up some interesting words. He says, my son, verse 20, pay attention to what I say. That is, give me your ears. If you look at verse 23, he's saying, give me your heart. Above all else, guard your heart. It is the wellspring of life. Verse 24, put away perversity from your mouth. Verse 25, let your eyes look straight ahead. Verse 26, make level paths for your feet. That is, let me have your whole being. Don't you think that you can walk the path with your feet while your eyes are over here on a pornographic site on the computer? Don't think that you can walk this path while you're giving unkind words to your wife. Get your whole being on this path and stay on this path. That's the way of wisdom. Let us pray. Father, you are the source of wisdom and you graciously give it to those who ask. And today, Lord, we ask you, we beg you, give us this wisdom Enable us to walk with you and out of that walk intuitively to deal with the complexities in our lives by the very wisdom of the living God. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.